Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Anita Posh Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you up to date with topics related to Bitcoin on a global stage and the local impact it has on communities and regular people. My guest today is Fereshte Foro. She is the founder of Code to Inspire, the first coding school for women in Afghanistan. We will be talking about her personal story of being a refugee in Europe, the general situation for the people in the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan, which is still one of the least developed nations in the world. And we will, of course, talk about Bitcoin in Afghanistan and also the ways that Code to Inspire is facilitating Bitcoin for the students, for the women in Afghanistan. And as always, you can watch this interview on YouTube or you can listen to it in your favorite podcast player. You can find all the links to the show at anita.link slash subscribe. And now... On to the show before a short word from my sponsors. I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But if you have difficulties with the technical requirements and maintenance of hardware wallets, you can use the card wallet. The card wallet is a very simple and secure solution for long-term storage of Bitcoin and Ethereum. No software updates needed and it leaves no traces on the blockchain, which is good for your privacy. You can give it away as a gift or inheritance. You can send Bitcoin to it and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker founded in 2014. Listen to my interview with Kai Kremser. He is Card Wallet's product manager at anita.link forward slash 72. If you order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita, you will get 20% off. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, Fereshte. Welcome to the Anita Posh Show. It's great that you're here. Hi, Anita. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure too. We met at La Bitcoin Conf. We did a panel together on social impact stories. And there I heard your story about Code to Inspire, that the organization that you have founded. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting story. I need to have her on my show to tell the people about the great work you're doing for women in Zimbabwe, I wanted to say, in Afghanistan. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Can you please uh, introduce yourself to listeners at the beginning that we know what you're doing and where you're from? Sure. So as you said, my name is Fereshte Farooq. I was born as a refugee in Iran during the Soviet invasion to Afghanistan. My parents fled the war early 80s. So I was growing up in a big family of eight kids, the fifth one. And being born as a refugee, certainly you face a lot of challenges and obstacles. And for me, accessing education was one of the important challenges that I was facing. 
But I can say I was fortunate enough that I could finish my high school in Iran. And then we moved to Afghanistan in 2002, one year after the fall of Taliban, to Herat, which is a city in west of Afghanistan where my parents are from. I was able to get my bachelor in computer science. And then we I got a scholarship. I went to Germany and I got my master's in Technical University of Berlin went back to Afghanistan and taught as a computer science professor for about three years in the university, and then came to the U.S. 2012, where I was able to found Code to Inspire as the first computer coding school for girls in Afghanistan. Okay, wow, what a story. Let's start from the beginning. So your parents uh, fled from Afghanistan before you were born? Yes. And can you maybe give us a short uh, story about the history of Afghanistan? Because I think I, I also don't know anything, to be honest. But I think uh, there was a lot of war and the, the country is uh, actually a very poor country. Yeah, I, that's actually, you're not alone and you're not the only people who think about Afghanistan like being a war zone and there's nothing happening there. It's, I think, unfortunately, the social media and main media, they are really playing an unfair game with Afghanistan because there's a lot of great stories. Of course, during the past decades, at least three decades, we've faced a lot of instability, war um, and conflicts in Afghanistan. And still, there are some areas that I can say they do have conflict and either Taliban or extremists do have a little bit of a more power than the government. But I can say that before the war, you can look for Afghanistan in 40, 50 and 60s. And the pictures that you see is like totally a different uh, image of what you see now in Afghanistan. And you can see that women certainly had a very prominent role in participating in the country progress. And uh, there were a lot of participations of women in different social, political aspects that you can say. But definitely with the war and destructions, I think one of the very fundamental aspects of the community, which is education, was destroyed. And it took a long time for the country to recover. And of course, in war zones, women and children are the most vulnerable and the first people who are going to be affected by that. And unfortunately, in Afghanistan, especially during the Taliban regime, women were forced to stay home and not get education. And to think about locking down 50% of a community who can participate and bring positive things into the table was really a disaster. And But I can say that right now, after the fall of Taliban and then when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, but also with the help of international community in these past two decades, um, certainly a lot of progress has happened. I can say that, for example, during the Taliban regime, there were only less than a million students going to school with zero women being part of that. But now we have about uh, 9 million students, which about 3.5 million of them are girls going to school. So that's a huge progress. And there is an increase of the women participation in the workforce. Around 80% of the local areas in Afghanistan access to telecommunication and and in technology actually is one of the biggest sectors that bring revenue to Afghanistan. So we can say that there's a lot of progress has happened that no one really heard about it. And I think with Code to Inspire, what I want to do is to change that perspective and let people know that there's still a lot of good stories and beauty about Afghanistan. Yeah, I'm sure that there is. So basically, 
up until now, many more women and girls being educated in school, but I think it's still uh, a big difference to the boys. So that's the way that the country has to develop and where Code to Inspire comes in. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's still a lot, like a huge gap in case of accessing equal resources for women, not only to go to school and access like basic education, but also in a bigger spectrum, going to university, extracurricular activities, and also technology, just technical literacy. It's something that, or digital literacy, it's something that a lot of the girls are not able to access that. And I think some part of it because of the infrastructure. Especially if you talk about big cities, for example, Herat that we are operating now or Kabul or Mazar, well, there is a better infrastructure, but still with that infrastructure, there are girls that they don't have computer at home. They don't have access to internet. They even don't have basic phones. So it makes it difficult for them to connect it to the global world. Yeah. And I, I guess that the boys would get it earlier and the girls after the boys. Yes, like you're right. It's, it's because it's still a very traditional country and community and based on these uh, old values that they have that they think if you invest on the boys because he's going to be the breadwinner, of course, we're going to give him the resources first and the girl's going to get married and go away. So um, like it's, it doesn't matter at all. So we do see that the boys have more opportunities getting all those resources than the girls in their family. But it seems that the story, your personal story is a bit different because uh, you studied literature before. And yes. <laughs> how did you get to coding? <laughs> yes, I think my story is very not a usual story of like I liked computer science or coding from the beginning. I studied literature and I really loved it. And I thought like to pursue a career in, in, in those fields. But when we moved to Afghanistan and I participated in the university exam, it's interesting that the system picked computer science for me. For some reason, my numbers matched the computer science, I think, that time. And then I definitely was very upset. I didn't want to go because I was like, it's all about math and I'm not good at math. And I remember that my parents really encouraged me because they said, you have a decent English. And it seems that this is about having English knowledge as well. So go and try it and see what will happen. And that's how I got into computer science. I think that's a very common story, but also for women. Very often that they say, I know it from myself, oh, I'm not into mathematics and technology and I'm not interested in that. But I think if you start it, you learn to like it. And then in the end, it's like you were born for it. Yeah, I, I guess like for me, the part that I really liked and made me to stay was really the critical thinking and problem solving aspects of coding and really like to you, you do have a problem in front of you and then you can create a solution and kind of the feel, the feeling of ownership that you can create something and you own it and you can like make it the way you want was very fascinating for me. And I think that was very powerful to think that once you gain this knowledge, you're capable of creating a, what you want and you can make the decision. And I think that was very beautiful for me in a way that like li living in a community that there was always like choices and decisions being forced upon you rather than you being the one who take the decision. And then you went to Germany. Why and how did you find your way to go to Berlin? 
Our university started having a partnership with the Technical University of Berlin. And when we started, a lot of my classmates didn't have a good English knowledge. So the professors who came from Germany, they picked mentors who could teach the classes in Farsi. So I was one of the very first mentors who started teaching Java programming. And based on my performance, there were hundreds of students around Afghanistan who applied for the master program and they picked a top 25. And I was one of them who got the opportunity to go for my master's. Oh, super. And how many years have you spent in Berlin? So the program was two years. I spent the first year in Berlin. And then the sixth month, I went back to Afghanistan to work on my thesis and do all the field research. And then I went back for another six months to work with my professors and defend my thesis and everything related to that. Mm -hmm. And why did you then found Code to Inspire? You must have had some reasons for that and maybe also personal experiments experiences. So what were the reasons why did you found this organization? Yes, definitely it was very personal to me creating Code to Inspire. One is because of my life story as a refugee. For me to understand that how it is important to give everyone education no matter of their background was very important. Just to say that education is a basic and fundamental human right, it's very important. But also going to Afghanistan and being a woman in technology aspects, as you mentioned, there were very few women at the beginning. Still, there are very few women in the field. If you look at, I faced a lot of backlashes and threats because of I was vocal. I was not a typical woman who be quiet. I was participating in activities. So a lot of my classmates and people didn't like it. And I was tired of that situation of why you should be the only voice in the room and the other women won't talk. And of course, you would be a target because you're the only person who is standing up and talking uh, rather than if you are more people, no one can approach you and target you. And the other part is certainly I can say providing a safe space and secure because women face a lot of verbal and sexual harassments, not only within the educational system, but even outside. I faced that too when I had to go to use internet in internet cafes because of doing research and doing my homework because I didn't have internet at home. It was not a pleasant experience and you don't want to be alone in those situations. And and also, I think in case of financial aspects, as we mentioned, when it comes to investment, investing on the girls' education, a lot of families prefer to invest on the boy. So offering something for free would enable families to send their daughters. And, and for me, offering the school for free was very important. And I think the the last one was the major issue of employment opportunities, how these women who spend a lot of time studying convert those into financial opportunity for themselves and to help them to gain those knowledge, to become employed either within the community or become entrepreneur and create their own startups, or we can outsource projects to them from here was very important. And I think all these reasons really was the force for me to think about changing that narrative and starting from my own city, Herat, and open Code to Inspire in uh, November 2015. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's five years now. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and how many students did you have in these five years? 
So we started with 50 students, and right now we've educated more than 250 students so far. And we are actually opening new classes, and we are getting like about 200 applicants for the new classes for coding and graphic design. Wow, cool. And what is the, what are the topics? What do the women learn in your courses or in your school? So there's the coding department or coding aspects and then the graphic design aspects. With the coding, we really focus on web development, web design. It can be full stack, front end and back end as well. And then with mobile application, we focus for both Android, iOS, game development. We use Unity. And recently, we also opened our blockchain crypto class, which we're very excited. And we focus on Solidity, Ethereum, smart contracts, and Bitcoin as well. And then in the graphic design class, we really focus on how students can create graphic design works and also animation. So this is a combination of all those classes. Mm -hmm. Super. Let's circle back a little bit to the situation in Afghanistan and also Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the money in, how does it work in Afghanistan? I guess, I think your currency is called Afghani. Is this right? Yes. 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 How's the situation there? And how's the situation with banks? Are they reliable? Do you have, are, are people banked or are they unbanked? I don't know. Just talk. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly because of conflicts when the war and the infrastructure, the banking system still is not as I can say reliable or being used in, in, in a more like a popular way. People still prefer to do the traditional way of keeping cash in, in the transactions. And also I can say that even with the, with the banks giving you credit cards, a lot of the times if you want to do online purchases, a lot of the pl platforms don't accept it because it's from Afghanistan. The, I think KYC issues is a big issue as well for when you are dealing with banking in Afghanistan. And I, so I can say a lot of the people are unbanked. And also the issue of unbanked is that because some of the people also are displaced uh, from their places due to drought or lack of job opportunities. So maybe they don't have their identification. And when you want to open an account in the bank, they do need those. So they don't have any sort of identification to show to the bank to open the account. And PayPal also does not work in Afghanistan, um, again, because of the KYC issues mm -hmm. and identification. The only way that if you want to send money overseas, um, it, it is through banking if there are opportunities for that. But it's a long process and we face a lot of issues when we send money through banks. Sometimes it rewired back, it doesn't go and it takes a lot of time and you have to go through all the system to figure it out what was the issue. The other way, which is a bit faster, but also more expensive, is Western Union, mm -hmm. that people do send money through Western Union. And that has its own limitation and issues as well. Yeah, and it's also very expensive. I, I don't know how mm -hmm. many percent transaction fee they take, 10, 15? Yes, 10 to 12 percent yeah. when you do it online. And then if you do in person, it's a little bit less, but still it's a lot of money. It's a very lot, yeah. And how's the situation with the money stability? Is the Afghani a stable currency or do you have a high inflation? Because in Afghanistan, people still use dollar a lot. So dollar oh. is also beside Afghani. 
is a strong currency that mm-hmm. like people use it in day to day or also euro they use it as well they can say like it's always depends on the political situations the conflicts and also dollar so like it's very tight a lot to the dollar amount you know, what's going on around the dollar and i think right now it's certainly like the dollar amount is high and afghanis lower so like it's always like has its up, ups and downs i am um, and people use both currencies although the government always tried to encourage people and the companies the businesses to use afghani instead of any other foreign currencies mm-hmm. so you're basically each buying decision you have in Afghanistan, you have to decide which currency should I use today? What is cheaper in this situation? Or how can I get back? Can I get another set of US dollars again? Because I think yes. that's a, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, mm-hmm. that's quite a, a similar situation to Zimbabwe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's very difficult. I think it's uh, to a lot of countries who do have like dollar in their day-to-day businesses despite the currency they have it's always like that you'll see what makes sense to send it makes sense to send the money in afghani or it is better to send in dollar do people also try to hold gold yes i can say that gold is very traditional and mm-hmm. still there it's also like For women use a lot for as a jewelry. So you can see in a lot of households, that's like kind of an investment that mm. women have. Okay. So that's their property. I don't know if it's like they have the total control over mm. those like jewelries or it just is there as an investment. Mm. And what about the use of Bitcoin in Afghanistan? Do people know about it? Do they use it or is it more like in? small groups like your school that people know about it? That's a good question because still it's a very new topic in Afghanistan, I can say. For example, from my journey, which I learned about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, was it was like late 2013, early 2014. It was like certainly a fascinating technology for me to see that how easily you can send and receive money without a third party and limitations of like not having identification, freedom of uh, having access to what you have. And and all those features made me to really love this technology and go for it and learn more about it. But I can say um, still it's very new. Like I talked to a couple of people in different ministries, Ministry of Telecommunication, Ministry of in- Interior, and also people in the bank to see what they think about it. And majority of them said we don't have any certain rules or regulations around it because it hasn't been used. And people like us who use it or start using it, I think we are at this stage of still education and not usage of it. But we, as Code to Inspire itself, we not only want to take the education aspects of it, but certainly work on a small projects as a practical way to see how the community respond. And then hopefully we can scale the program later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, understand. So Code to Inspire is using it also for donations? So Yes. Yes, yes. We've. I think we, we, Code to Inspire is one of the um, few organizations that been receiving cryptocurrency donations from very early. And I can say also we are one of the few organizations that probably hold it and <laughs> never sold much. Because <laughs> we look at it as an opportunity that hopefully if it grows, it can help more girls to uh, get education. Definitely. I think that's the power if you've been early and you held it. 
yes. then you can finance <laughs> education now. And that's great also because people give back like that part of being into Bitcoin. And so do you also have like classes where you show the women how to install a wallet and use it? Yes, we do. We do have it this class that we have it for a couple of months now. The girls actually learn about the basic and fundamental creating wallets, transactions, and things like that. And one of the um, programs that we're thinking about and we want to add to that is that how we can probably see that what kind of partners we can find that can help us to send the Bitcoin ATM to Afghanistan, to oh. our school, so that mm -hmm. the girls not only learn about the coding aspects of it and the technology, but then they would be able to see the transactions live and they can experience it. So that's something that we are certainly looking forward to add into the program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. So there are no Bitcoin exchanges in Afghanistan? Yes, there, there are no Bitcoin exchanges or any cryptocurrency exchanges. We did a lot of like research, talk to a lot of people and uh, see even if there's like local Bitcoin people, but there's not much. Although I can say that like we've been sending cryptocurrency, especially Bitcoin to Afghanistan for some part of the program and the girls. And the um, only way was that we ourselves acted as an exchange. So if they wanted to cash it out, they come to the school and we give them cash. So that's the only way we could do the transactions. But it's possible to use local bitcoins in afghanistan you only don't find peers to exchange yes i yeah. think you can for example i can say in a lot of countries around afghanistan like pakistan iran they certainly ahead than afghanistan in case of using cryptocurrency especially iran and i see a lot of use cases and people talk about it so they do that but we weren't able to figure it out how we can use that and it's still with afghanistan the situation of the, the security the conflicts the taliban we want to be very cautious and careful of who we are talking and who we want to do the business with yeah exactly so you would basically just exchange with people you trust yes yeah yeah uh, that's also interesting it's also a similarity with zimbabwe because people there also they mostly exchange in really peer groups so they meet on WhatsApp or Telegram and then they get together, but mm -hmm. everything is word of mouth. So yes, they use also local Bitcoins, but then they use their groups and yes. Yeah. I, yes. It's everything in a community like Afghanistan. Still everything is very like human and trust based. Like you trust them, you can like lend them money or like, you know, word of mouth. So that's certainly something that we will do when we want to like implement it and do more transactions with people outside of Code to Inspire. Yeah. And I think it's also a great uh, way to use Bitcoin because I think that was the basic idea to be a peer to peer money for people to exchange with each other. And I think that's a great, yeah. And I guess there's a lot of possibilities for development in any, in all directions in Afghanistan because it's so fresh and new there for the people. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. What would you think? So the women in your school, they, until now, nobody is holding it because they need the, the local currency or US dollars. Yes. Yes. We do have among our mentors, we do have some who 
received some part of their salaries in crypto, part of in dollar, and they still hold on it, which we are very happy about this. But I think that the fear is only because they kind of want cash, but also for their expenses, especially mm-hmm. the girls. And a lot of them who receive this money really help them to buy the things they want. Mm-hmm. I think one of the issues with crypto which is very interesting but also again like it goes back to the infrastructure issue in afghanistan is that you can buy a lot of things online with crypto there's a lot of great platforms that you can you know purchase Mm -hmm. any kind of like goods you want but i think for for afghanistan still because there's a huge infrastructure issue with shipping there's uh, issues so the houses don't have a proper mailing address so like you can't really have something internationally or even nationally mailed to you there are like like post offices that they have like small boxes or place but not a lot of people use that so i think that's like an obstacle also if it wouldn't be the issue i'm pretty sure a lot of the girls would hold on their crypto and purchase like mm. goods online understand yeah and i guess you also support the women to find a job afterwards or to start their own uh, small business yes so part of the program is beside education is as i said economic opportunities for the girls so once the girls graduate from our school we really try to help them as much as we can to find opportunities for them for employment. I can say from the graduates that we have so far with the data that we gathered, almost 60% of our graduates found job within the community with what they've learned in the school. About 10% of them became entrepreneur, created their own companies, raised actually funds and hired more women. And I can say 20% We, we did a lot of outsourcing projects. We did about, I can say right now, 30 projects outsourcing and around like $25,000, which all the money went to the girl's pocket. And in general, we are talking about all these girls that they never had a job. And this is the first time they are working. And some of them are getting paid twice or um, three times more than the men in the family because the average income monthly is $150. Mm-hmm. So with some of the projects they're working, they're making more money now. So we're very excited to see that what we've planted within these five years is showing the result. And although everything happened very organically, but we hope that in future we can create a better sustainable business model that we can help more graduates to get job opportunities. Yeah, that would have been exactly my next question. What does the future bring? What does 2021 bring? Because that's also a question I forgot to ask you earlier. How is the situation in Afghanistan regarding the corona pandemic? Mm-hmm. Yes, great question. Certainly 2020 was a very difficult year, not only because of the, you know, the COVID and everything that happened around it, but the logistics around it. So for us, part of the work that we do, the, the school and the girls being present, that is a very critical component. And that's because of the safe space we create for them and that space who help them to be themselves. So taking that space from them and being home was They, it brought a lot of changes in not only in creativity and the participation in classes, but also some of them got caught in the daily work at home and they didn't have that portion of like safe space and time that we provided for them. It was certainly challenging logistically. We had to, for a couple of weeks when the lockdown happened, we had to figure it out 
how many of our students don't have laptop at home, how many don't have internet. So we gave them laptops, we purchased monthly internet packages for them to continue the classes. We had to also figure it out what channels we have to use to upload the contents for classes and the online, just online classes and following up and making sure everyone is present was definitely challenging. But I can say we did a pretty good job still with keeping the girls involved and going through the program. And then a couple of months uh, before the government said that the educational institutes can reopen with the safety uh, instructions and we reopened the school and we are still very cautious. We have everyone to have masks in the school and with everything and we put less students in some of the classes. And I can say that in case of also funding, it was challenging year too to raise funds because a lot of the funds were geared towards COVID and health and not a lot of education. And again, especially with Afghanistan, I think there's, I feel like there's certainly like a international community lost hope because see with all the money went, there's still not progress and with the peace talk that's happening right now with Taliban. So there's a lot of new political kind of changes that's happening. These are like very challenging for us and that those made us to think about, okay, like for 2021, what we can offer because we would love to grow and scale the program. Every day we receive like messages from girls in Afghanistan that are you able to open your school in our city? And it's very heartbreaking for us to see that there are all these talents there, but we won't be able to reach them. Mm. So we are like thinking about, does it make sense to have a hybrid model? to have an online presence, but a smaller physical space uh, so that we can target more girls. And also we can do to be more sustainable, like how we can generate more income and revenue in a way that we don't heavily rely on donations. So I think these are the two key components of what we want to focus this year so that we can have a solid plan hopefully by 2022, so that we can expand and scale the program within Afghanistan or even outside of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. That would be cool. How big is the school at the moment? How many people are working there? So the school, we rent a one, like a building. It has a three stories. Right now, we do have about like 150 students who come daily in different schedules. And then we have a team of uh, seven people as a project manager and our mentors who also come daily. And we have also security guards who take care of the security of the building as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's an awesome project. I think it's great what you're doing. Thank you for all the work you do in the name of all the girls and women. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where can people find uh, you and the school online? So the website code to inspire.org, you can see, especially in the blog section, you have weekly blogs, so you can follow the progress of our students and get updates and you can reach out to us. We do have actually a tab in the website for hire our graduates. So if you do have any projects that you would like for our girls to make it happen for you, you can just fill out that form and reach out to us. Mm -hmm. Or you can donate Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, we do have the donate button for uh, donating crypto as well. Yeah, that would be cool. And what's your Twitter handle and the website address? The Twitter handle for myself is F underscore Furuk. And for Code to Inspire is at Code to Inspire. Okay, cool. I will put that in the show notes. Sure. Do you have, have we missed anything that you want to tell our listeners? 
I think we covered a lot of the issues that I think was important to talk about and I think be interesting for the listeners to have about Afghanistan. But I think as a final remark, I would like to certainly say that hopefully after listening to this, change their perspective about Afghanistan and they, when they think about the future of Afghanistan, they think about how to inspire and the girls in Afghanistan as we are building Afghanistan 2.0, where we try to bridge the gender, digital and economic divide in Afghanistan by investing on the girls' education, especially in technology. And I can share this um, saying from Rumi, who is a 13th century Persian poet, which I love and I get my inspirations. He says that where there is ruin, there is hope for a treasure. And I think it really resembles with Afghanistan and the ruins of what happened after the war. But the treasures are the girls in Afghanistan. And investing in their education is investing in a future which is more peaceful and there is prosperity. So I'm very hopeful that we can play our part the code to inspire to build that Afghanistan 2.0. Thank you very much. Sounds great. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Thanks for I, having me. Maybe one day we can meet in person. I wish you all the best and thanks for joining me in this interview. Yes, I would love to. And hopefully we can meet in person. And again, yes. thanks for giving me the opportunity to share the story. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh Show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posch. <laughs>